Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome down to the helmet. Look at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons. Got Katie Flower, and we're going to finish our series looking at tough to rank and valued players. We got tight ends this week, heading into week 11 of your dynasty season. And do want to remind you, official show of UTHDynasty.com, heading towards 300 premium podcasts. So it goes above and beyond this weekly show. So if you like what you hear, subscribe as a general manager. And that means you're going to get to try out the trade calculator, as well as all of that premium content, rankings, metrics. And when you get to draft season, you're not going to want to be anywhere else. And Katie, this has been a really great series. We're able to talk through maybe some of our personal uh, strife in terms of players that we have rostered players that we have watched their career arc uh, and maybe not pan out as we expected or as we had hoped in some capacity. And we've got four good ones up in this one. Later on the show, we'll talk about the UTH best ball contest. And I've got some rapid fire if time allows here with some of the things coming out of week 10. But Katie, let's start out with one of yours. And tight end is high variance. Just to say on the outset, I don't know if you have any positional thoughts, but weekly it's a little bit different than the other positions. And frankly, the state of the union on dynasty and where we sit, um, it's a lot of the have and have nots in your league. So if you start complaining about somebody that is still pretty high up and still performing, but maybe not to as high of a level as you think they are capable, I will say, be careful and just look around your league. Because when you look at the lineups, of half of your league, you're like, well, at least I'm not starting that guy. At least I'm not truly streaming because I have one team. I started Ryan Griffin this past week and everyone tries to trade me tight ends for an egregious price. And you know what? I don't think they're wrong because if you have a guy, that can be a five to 10 point advantage over someone that clearly lacks the guy. Absolutely. Tight end is feast or famine. And outside of the top four or five guys, the drop off is very, very quick on points per game and just trying to thread that needle, trying to find who to start in a streaming option isn't the easiest in the world because trying to predict what an NFL coach is going to do, trying to predict what that quarterback is going to do, how many targets that they're going to see, it's really, really tough. So especially in tight end premium and where you have to start two tight ends, you need the, the, the more bodies that you have, the more options you have, the better generally, because if nothing else, you're keeping them away from your opponent. And even if they blow up and put 18, 20 points up while they're on your bench, that's better than them being a last second buy filler for somebody else and putting that up against you. And for those reasons, Again, volume is is king. The first tight end I'd like to talk about, and when it comes to tight ends, generally those that are in their later 20s tend to be more established, we would hope, 
that they would be established by then. They've already learned the nuances of the NFL. Now they should be able to really fire on all cylinders, but one that hasn't. And so he's got me scratching my head is Evan Ingram. And I think it's as much because he's on the New York Giants and just he's paired with Daniel Jones. And one of the, I'm not that thrilled with the coaching staff there. Um, I don't know that any improvement's going to be there anytime soon. I don't rem- I didn't look up his contract, but he's close to, did he sign a new contract? This is it. Is it free agent. That's what I had thought. And, and that is the biggest thing that I've got as a hope. I still think he's got talent, but man, he, between his injuries and the up and down, like currently his ADP is tight end 16, which is around 150th overall in dynasty in just standard um, non-tight end premium, not start to tight end, but right around the John U. Smith, DPJ and Hunter Renfro in that similar ADP, which, you know, is not a lot, but he's currently producing at tight end 20. So he's not even producing his ADP. He's averaging 8.6 points per game, again, in just standard target-wise. He's been averaging six targets per game, and he's only played seven games this season. The rest of his offense around him, Saquon's been out. Shepard's been in and out. Daniel Jones isn't all that uh, able to light it up. So I hope that if he does sign someplace else that he finally gets unleashed. I think there's still something there. I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, you hit on some good points. Um, yeah, the career arc thing, you know, just like wide receiver, tight end is usually a slower progressing position. Age 25 to 30 is kind of that sweet spot. It differs from running back in the sense that you don't hit the ground running. It takes you some time. Literally, usually it's later in your rookie contract. And then that next contract, whether it's with your first team, a new team, uh, that uh, you end up having that spike or that sustained production of you are the starter, you are the captain now, and you know all that. And for Ingram, he's been pretty good in his career on a point-per-game basis. The problem has been missed games, and now it's a... I mean, grit your teeth. If you listen to my <laughs> my film notes shows, you know, I mean, probably four times this year, I've been gritting my teeth about how they've used Evan Ingram, the lack of use. And it's still there. Like if you want to be, if you are an Ingram fan, go back to week nine. He made this play that was down the sideline and uh, he high pointed a touchdown for a, for a chunk play. And I mean, he can do it. He is a wide receiver athlete in the body of a hybrid slash tight end, but he could be one of the preeminent receiving options at that position categorized as that, as that position in fantasy we have. And yet we just have seen so few glimmers. Now he's dropped some balls. He's been inconsistent. um, But the stretching the field, legit running 4-4, moving away from guys, being a matchup nightmare. I just, I would love to ask 20 questions, you know, to the Giants about why that has not come to fruition with the stat line, with his um, elite usage and utility within that offense that has had a lot of injuries around him. Uh, quarterback seems to need some help. He chips. Evan Ingram chips a lot on on defensive ends and stuff, and then runs a five yard out route. It just boggles my brain. That's like, how about you use get everybody else? Get Caden Smith. Get Kyle Rudolph. Get all the other tight ends. Sign a guy to do that. For goodness' sake, you don't use Evan Ingram that way. So I just that's the part. The the situational part. Uh, really, you know, are we going to keep blaming the Giants? That's what I'm going to say. Like, or 
in three years, are we going to look back and be like, there was a lot more fire to the smoke of why Ingram didn't produce, uh, you know, to a higher level with the Giants specifically? I do think he goes to free agency, and you look at the landscape and say, yeah, there's not going to be, uh, you know, a whole lot uh, that's going to preclude him from being the the man. I mean, you've got that that singular class: Ingram, O.J. Howard, David Joku, uh, Zach Ertz. Uh, Dallas Goddard, Mike Kosicki. It is a good tight end class, but what I would say is there is basically half the league could use an Evan Ingram. Half of the NFL. We talk about dynasty and fantasy that NFL is the same way. I mean, who really has the guy or a a defense tilting guy? And I think with, with Ingram being a free agent, that's your hope. Your hope is that he goes somewhere else and we see more than the, the shades of greatness that he showed in his first two, three years. And he's been swooning since, as you mentioned, he's affordable, right? I mean, he's probably the valuation of what a second round rookie pick. And when you say I've got a shot to maybe, and and the more we're talking to an audience that I would say has Ingram more than you're looking to acquire Ingram. So it's more of a hold. It's more of a, we're just kind of a frustrated audience of holders more than we're out there like literally trying to dump this guy for a third round pick and I'm sick of you because I'm sure you could sell him for a third. But tight end is a, a relatively fickle market. I still have him around my tight end 10, you know, and in that zone because it drops off, as you said. And I think that when you say who has a chance to be top three, four, five, that almost needs to be the primary focus of what, how you're ranking the position. It's not floor. Who cares if it's tight end 17 versus tight end 50? Who cares? There's no difference. There's a little difference in two tight end, but that's it. And that, that's not the primary format people play. Um, so again, he's shown flashes. I do, I do blame the Giants. I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone in that. And I see a lot more potential. And I do think he's in his window to say that his best year in aggregate of games played, total production, could absolutely be in front of them. And I wouldn't put top three to five outside of that realm. That's pretty much the conclusion that I came to that he's a hold. And as you mentioned, I thought about this when I selected which tight ends, there's probably a lot of UTH owners that have Evan Ingram already on their roster. So I agree. Just you've got to hold him and keep him in that club and be patient. Try to get those spot starts when you can. Yeah, and and while I na- I rattled off a lot of free agents, keep in mind for next year's NFL free agent class that some of them, probably half of them, are are going to stay with their own team. You know, that's typically now Evan Ingram, just like say Allen Robinson, a few others. I would think they would want to go elsewhere. When you have the ability to pick your spot, so to speak, even if it's only of two, three, four teams, of having some optionality of your quarterback. Uh, you know, with the strength of their passing game and, you know, obviously where to live and things like that. But I would think that that you actually like Odell Beckham. He just now had it the first time he got to choose his team. He's been traded otherwise. And so having that for the first time since college being recruited in that fashion, I would imagine is a pretty nice perk. And I And especially if you feel like you're underperforming and it's anything but your fault, <laughs> then I, I would think that that would be a huge boon that you would be looking towards. And again, some of these, so, so while there might be six or seven possible competitors in the marketplace, I, I think that two, three, four of them are probably going to stay where they are. And Ingram's going to be one of those names that's going to be appealing to NFL teams for a, you know, hashtag 
fresh start, you know, for for him in his career. All right, uh, my first one here, and uh, we're going to continue with that same draft class. I picked OJ Howard, and here's the most frustrating thing for me. So I understand he's coming back from a serious injury this year and the ramp up factor, but the six games without Rob Gronkowski. So you'd say, okay, Rob Gronkowski, he's coming back. They're going to continue this Super Bowl run and roll uh, there in Tampa Bay. And you figure, you know, Gronkowski is going to get every chance to produce at a high level. And when he's healthy, he has been. However, Gronkowski, six games out of the lineup. Here's what Howard's done total, not in one game, total in six games. 17 targets, less than three per game, 11 for 93 and a touchdown, 93 yards in six games, 15, 16 yards per game is egregious. And I'm sorry, during this time, Antonio Brown has missed some time. Chris Godwin has missed some time. And I mean, this this is a former first round pick. He's tied in 50 or so on the season. So he's been absolutely invisible. And he had one start where he had, I think, six catches or whatever. And it was actually a streaming spot that he was okay. He's been egregious. And man, I mean, I'll I'll get into the, I mean, some of the career comps I could even cobble together, but I'll just say it's not pretty. And I I continue to want to think you bet on round one tight ends, you bet on round one tight ends, but Ingram and David Njoku have shown a heck of a lot more, even though you want to say they can do better. Howard has shown almost nothing. And if you want to say this is, if we find out the only thing that would be a saving grace for me is if we get to the end of the year or some point later, and it's like, he was basically, you know, playing at 70% all year, you know, and he was just blocking and not himself running routes and all this stuff, but playing through injury, as I've said before, looks worse. The optics of it fantasy wise look a lot worse than just not playing, you know, and we don't know that right now, but that would be the only thing. I think that would justify what we're seeing and give us reasons for optimism uh, to a higher level going forward. Yeah, I'm not that optimistic. I've got him in a bunch of places, but he's been pretty much not startable. He's had one game where he, you could have, but how do you pick that until after the fact? You really can't. That's what makes his evaluation so tough. I agree with you. Um, yeah, and Again, it's not like they're they're throwing to other tight ends. They've just said, no, no tight ends. We're we're gonna figure something else out in Tampa. And that's been a lot of Leonard Fournette. That's been uh, you know, the wide receiver-centric nature of, of their offense. And some comps I came up with through five years of this career arc. Tyler, uh, Tyler Eifert, he didn't do a whole lot past this point. He got a couple nomadic sort of short contracts. Brandon Pettigrew, we know his story. He had big, big volume in Detroit and then turned into nothing because he was like a 4-9 guy and he was basically a blocker. Uh, ben Watson, he had a couple of moments, but it was deep into his 30s. It was very, very outlier in his career arc. And then Daniel Graham, those are other first rounders that have basically petered out mid-career like this. Not a good look. Um, again, OJ Howard can still stretch the seam. There's still You can put together a highlight package even over the last two, three years. It looks pretty decent. Uh, again, for a position that it doesn't take much to get into the top 10, but not a good look. Uh, he's a 2022 free agent. I have him about tied in 20 or so, but just because that pedigree, you say, well, what's behind him? I mean, <laughs> you know, you start looking, you start looking later and it's dice throws. You know, it's guys that might be day three pedigree. You're betting on, they've done nothing in the NFL. By, by even comparison to OJ Howard, they've done nothing. And that's really concerning. Now, the interesting part for me is, so let's say 
I think the biggest decision you have on OJ Howard, if it's too tight end, you're just going to hold and see what happens in free agency. That's an easy, that's an easy line of advice. But in one tight end, let's say, Katie, it's like 25 man rosters. So stock everything. And he's like begrudgingly. So let's say you have somebody else that you've typically been starting. And then, you know, when buy buy or injury or whatever, you still didn't feel comfortable starting OJ Howard. So you picked up somebody else. Like let's say he's you're in in brass tacks, he's your third tight end. In 25-man roster, that's a roster squeeze. You're missing out on a running back opportunity. You're missing out on, you know, you know, maybe someone that that came through at wide receiver that you you needed. Maybe that's the difference between being able to hold the the strong defense you have and you know through the bye week versus floating them out there and trying to get them back. And like one roster spot in that depth is valuable in how you function throughout this portion of the calendar. Do you break all ties in his direction? Do you say, eh, it's one tight end and he's just another tight end in the cog of the machinery that, I mean, is, is he breaking ties for you? Or is he one that you say, I could probably just churn this five ways from Sunday over the next couple months. And I'm still waiting for free agency and just a, a turnaround that historically doesn't happen a whole lot. Yeah, he's he's on my cut list. If it's that tight, I'd rather have a running back with potential than than having OJ Howard in a start one tight end. I'd rather trade up, chip up, do whatever to get a reliable starting tight end and then maybe have one or two additional backups for bye weeks. And that's it. Lean and mean at tight end and OJ Howard, sorry, not going to make the cut. Because Howard would need to, you're basically, you have him for the off season, right? I mean, his basic utility, because six weeks he's been unstartable. And you, so you say nothing can really happen that makes him somebody that's actually going to impact my team down the stretch. And so, like you said, running backs could absolutely do that. Uh, whether, you know, if you're just getting a new guy that's a number two this week on the waiver wire, and if someone else holds him for two months, I will say if you're out of it, OJ Howard is the type of guy that makes sense. Hold for upside and variance in the off season. And maybe, you know, some, some running back that is currently, you know, zero profile guy, you know, maybe he hits with an inside straight of, of injuries that, but, but if you're a non-contender, that doesn't really help you. So that's where I think Howard might have a divide in that capacity. And I will say, I will ask one final question because we didn't pick uh, David Njoku as one of our four this week. Does David Njoku differ from OJ Howard just in terms of what he's shown? He's also a free agent in the offseason. Would you be more likely to hold Njoku than Howard in that same setting of medium depth and a one tight end format? It's a coin flip, really. Um, they're okay. both a crapshoot. I, I have no preference one way or the other. Okay. Um, I would give I would give Njoku a little bit more preference just because I think he's shown more. Uh, this year, shown more in general for being a big play maven. I do think that this free agent class, if all three of those guys, Ingram, uh, Najoku, and Howard are out there, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, a tale of the tape of what the NFL teams think of them. Uh, you know, as, as all of them were first round picks a few years ago, to see what they think contractually and uh, center point of our potential offense in the future in terms of that perspective. And uh, all right, let's go to uh, your second and final one this week at the tight end position. So we met both Evan Ingram and OJ Howard in the senior bowl for that draft class. Somebody that we didn't get to meet at the senior bowl, but I'm going to stay with the same draft class is George Kittle, the tight end five in ADP. And that's what he's producing at 13 points per game, non-premium 
averaging nine and a half targets over the last three games, which I find interesting. So I think he's much better off with Jimmy Garoppolo than he is with Trey Lance, but I don't know how that transition is going to happen and when, and if Garoppolo is going to stay the starter for the rest of the season, I think that's good news signs pointing up for Kittle. Um, He's 28, so he's slightly older than Ingram and Howard, but not by much. They're both 27. So the question, you know, that he's not performing, he is, but he isn't performing as the stud connotation that everybody, like he's not tight end two, like everybody was thinking. Tight end five doesn't sound like big that big of a drop off, but again, it's the difference between almost 17 points per game down to 13 points per game. That's a big drop off, but yet he's also the kind of guy that in tight end premium and start two, he's going to be a core player. The question is with his injuries, is he reliable enough for that price tag? And what is his price tag right now? I haven't seen very many Kittle deals. If you've got some, that would be fantastic, but he's, he's pretty much at 55 overall in a dynasty startup. That's not tight end premium right around the price tag of a Josh Jacobs or a Cam Akers, Jalen Waddell, Rashad Bateman in that range um, I would imagine he'd go sooner in tight end premium, probably by a round or two. I still think his cost right now to acquire is bigger than his performance or his reliability. Yeah, it doesn't feel like he would, like, for example, if you've got Kittle and Kelsey, let's say, on teams that are maybe fringe playoff, you know, or, or not in that ilk, it feels like the price difference between those two wouldn't be all that different. And in that sense, you'd rather just go for Kelsey, I would imagine, because uh, you know you're you're taking on more age, but yet uh, you know he's been Mr. Reliable. He's paired with Patrick Mahomes. You've got way less question uh, in terms of what the next one two years look like, what the quarterback situation, like all those factors um, that come into play. I wrote down two things with Kittle that that sort of why he's perfect for this list and why anyone would have questions with him in general: durability and touchdowns. He has been limited in his upside. The big thing is usually the top tight ends have way better touchdown production than Kittle. You look at his his production in terms of yards and targets, like everything aligns, but he has not had the touchdowns. His career high is five in a season. Five at a position where like you can walk into three or four. I mean, this isn't like, I mean, it's pretty easy to, to fall in and get a few goal line looks. And so that part has eluded him. And it's not, you have to look at it as a trend. We're far enough down the rabbit hole of his career to say that's a trend. There's something going on. Maybe he's such a great blocker that all he does is block at the goal line. But you know what? Gronkowski throughout his career is a pretty good blocker. And they found ways to get him 10, 15 touchdowns in a season. I do think one thing you brought up that I didn't make a, a note on before the show, which I think is very apt, which is the Trey Lance transition, whenever this occurs, I don't think it's a good thing for the 49ers passing game. He is very much developmental and Garoppolo, you can bang on him all you want, but if you've got Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle, you absolutely should say should be thankful for what you have now because no it can get worse. It can get worse and this whole like 
Lance running it 15 times and saving his own fantasy bacon and saving Kyle Shanahan's job and they win games and all this stuff, all that can happen, but there could be a downturn in what targets mean and the number of targets you get. And it's high variance, just wild, like random plays more so than sustained down the field work uh, with drive. So I just... I think that is a huge factor for all three of those guys as, as critical elements of the passing game and the durability part, you know, what you, what you've done lately. I mean, Kittle has been banged up in general, but he only played eight games last year. He's already missed a handful this season. And I just think there's not a lot of trust. The problem is it squeezes you in because Kittle's not the type that if you have Kittle, okay, well, where are you pivoting? Cause you're part of the haves. You're not part of the have nots at tight end. So like you said, half the league maybe, and maybe there's a team that has two of these guys. And frankly, if you're in two tight end or or premium, that you vice grip if you have two of them and you say, I'm not going to, I mean, this is the KD strategy 101. Like, I'm not going to give you one of the guys when I have two of the guys, whether I'm starting them both or flexing one sometimes or whatever. I'm just not going to let you off the hook like that. And I'd rather have you sit there and in the playoffs have you start you know, Mike Gesicki against me or start, uh, you know, Zach Ertz or, you know, just Cole Komet or whoever against me. And I want you to see if you can make that up one or two weeks, you know, in, in the, the one-on-one battle there. Um, I do have a couple of trades, Katie, so we can weigh in on these. And it may, this may be solely based on team direction. So George Kittle in Superflex for a 22 first. I'd take Kittle. Yeah. And, and again, I, like I said, it's, it's easy to, for us to bang on Kittle and have concerns and all this stuff, but you start talking about setting your lineup and what you have and what you would have otherwise, you know, and, and, and you've talked before that 22 first, especially if that's coming from a contender and now a contender upgrading at tight end with Kittle, that's looking back half. That's looking back half in the round and good luck finding that. Good luck finding Kittle's value. You know, it's not like he's 34 years old. Um, and one more here, and this is, again, I would imagine aligning with Contending versus not contending. George Kittle and Ryan Tannehill, same thing in Superflex for Zach Wilson and Juju. I'd rather have the Kittle side. Even if you're not contending, right? Yep. Yeah. And, and we've said that before. People that run away from, oh, I'm not contending. That means I need to sell my good players for players not playing right now or non-producers or injured players or uh, picks. No, that doesn't. That, that might actually lock you into doing the same types of trades next year because you're not contending yet again. So you have to be really careful about uh, the water slide of non-contending uh, sliding. You still from- want a core. You still yeah. want a base to work with. And Tannehill and Kittle are not of the age where you they're not hot potatoes. Right. And so, yeah, I, even if I'm not in contention, I want those two assets more than the other. The likelihood that Kittle has more positional value and, and, and production next year than Juju is high. The odds that Tannehill outproduces Zach Wilson next year is strong. Therefore, I mean, again, so when you say, oh, I'm not contending, when? When are you not contending? It's for the next two months. It's not well, actually less than two months. I mean, that's the point. You're, you're technically should be contending in January. In March, you should be contending because you're building towards week one, 2022. That's your, what we should do is just say that's your next most meaningful game. It doesn't mean you're, I mean, I'm horrible. Like when people say that, I always have them share what their core pieces are because I can tell stories of like, oh yeah, I can see you being competitive next year. Don't run away from that. And Kittle and, and Tannehill can be a part of that. Absolutely. All right. Uh, my last one here is uh, Darren Waller. And he's another one. I actually thought about texting you and changing it 
But my thoughts about it are the same. I started looking up information about him. And I feel like this is where we are, that Darren Waller has been not Darren Waller uh, for a while this season. And what I mean by that is we remember these games like at his peak. He's been a good producer, by the way. Like I think of these four, he's probably been the one that you, this is probably the biggest quibble of the perception and where we sit versus where the man, he really hasn't been doing enough. Like he's a little bit behind, you know, Kelsey and Andrews and Gronk when he played in per game. He's tied in four on the year. And, and, you know, week one really though was his last big game. The last one where you're like, he really moved the needle for my head to head results, producing a big game. He had a monster, monster week one. And you're like, oh, this is it. You know, he could be tied in one for the season. And he's really just blended in since then. Now, I'll say be careful because guys that put up twos. Waller is not really that guy, you know, like he just hasn't put up the monster game. He's been five to 15 or so. And, and so that's been good, but he's one of the most unique players in that. I mean, all the twists and turns he had off the field with Baltimore, he was a wide receiver prospect, late bloomer, all that. Like he really reminds me of Dallas Clark, Delaney Walker, guys like that. They, they really didn't get their start till later on. But now that he's here, I would say the have and have not split apply to Darren Waller. But the interesting part to me is to say he just really hasn't made as big of a difference as you would have liked. And, and that's maybe the biggest frustration is he hasn't moved the needle. Even though you have this guy, he's in his later 20s, he's right in his prime. You say the wide receivers really haven't siphoned a lot away from him with the Raiders this year. He's got Derek Carr, he's been playing well, and yet the production just has not been there. Um, that probably is the biggest frustration because it feels like on this plate, you have a potential right there with Kelsey, maybe even ahead of Kelsey, like dominant year. If you just put out all the site, all, all the all the facts up there, and yet it has not come through with the fantasy stat line so far. Yeah, he's only had two touchdowns the entire season. That one big game that he put up in week one, he had 19 targets with 10 receptions, and that was huge, but that's unheard of. He's been averaging about seven and a half targets ever since week one. Seven and a half targets is not bad for the tight end position, but for a guy that isn't scoring touchdowns, that makes it bad. And he's big enough, six foot six, 255, to be that red zone threat, but it's just not happening. Again, he's somebody I think is more of a hold. I wouldn't sell him if I had him, but I'm not looking to buy him either. Uh, if, if I were in a startup tomorrow, there's a lot other guys. I mean, he's 29, which is not super old for the tight end position, but lots can happen in the next few years. And is he, I would rather have a TJ Hawkinson over Darren Waller. I'd rather have some of the up and coming like Kyle Pitts. Obviously I'd rather have Kyle Pitts at 21 years old over 29 year old Darren Waller. And Kyle Pitts is already putting up Darren Waller type numbers. (laughs) Yeah, I got a few trades here uh, just to provide some uh, some recent data points. Um, so, what do you think? We've talked about you know maybe if you're a contender getting to Kelsey. Um, here's one that might be in in uh, within spitting distance. You got Darren Waller, Mike Williams, and a second for Kelsey, and then Landry was a throw in there. Would you just stick with Waller, or would you pony up and say I'm going to try to make a a bigger difference here at the position? Or do you That's say touchdowns? Or do you say touchdowns are going to come around? Like Waller could absolutely score five, six touchdowns in the second half of the year. Exactly. And 
I think that's an overpay for Kelsey because points are not guaranteed. What he's done in the past does not guarantee that he's going to do that the second half of the year. So if you're trying to buy points, you're giving up Mike Williams, who is right now somebody that you can start. You're giving up Darren Waller, who is somebody you can start. He hasn't had the touchdown. So you would think that the ball is going to start to bounce that way a little bit. I would be reticent to make that kind of trade. Um, yep. Again, All as right, much so- as I do like Kelsey, I think it's an overpay. All right. And uh, we've got another one here involving Kyle Pitts. So we've got Darren Waller and Chris Godwin for Kyle Pitts and a first next year. That's only tough because I really like Chris Godwin yeah. and what he can do. And it's more than just. And he's a free agent. So he could be going to a less cluttered depth chart. Right. I mean, Pitts is, is going to be a long-term, hopefully a long-term answer, but that one's more of a coin flip. This one feels hard not to do for me personally, just because of the massive insulation I think you have with Pitts. You know, even if they're, even if Waller, let's say, comes on a little bit and he outproduces Pitts in a decent way in the second half of the season, well, there's something in it and you should be able to get something. Did you say it was super flex? I think you did. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, the whole first round, there should be, if nothing else, an opportunity to trade out of the first into the 23 class or make that asset into something else at that point. The other point I would make is with that first, every year, we saw it this year in a massive way in that even back half of the first round, you have options to trade for Chris, Chris Godwin-like wide receivers. So you, if you right. want to supplement, I mean, to say that you can't buy Keenan Allen type or a uh, Mike Evans type in the offseason with that pick when you get all the way to the draft is you know probably not accurate. You know you will have opportunities like that with people going towards rookie picks. So Godwin may end up being a big riser, you know, with how he finishes the year, with how he uh, enters free agency, all those factors. But you can still get all the way to that pick uh, coming to fruition and trade it for. I would imagine a guy that you can plug and play um, at the position. We've got one more too. So Darren Waller for David Njoku, a first and a second. If I'd rather have Waller. Okay, if you're out of it. Would you would you be going that direction, or is Waller young enough, insulated enough, where you say, "Hey, I'm not contending this year, but I am next year"? I think he's young enough and insulated enough. I'd rather have Waller than mm-hmm. take that risk on on Joku. I, let me, let me I've try seen... to. Well, I was gonna say, let me try to let me try to change out the tight end and see where your line is on a deal like this. So keep the first and second in there. David Joku becomes Evan Ingram. Does that change the deal for you? No. If it becomes Hunter Henry, does that change the deal? Yes. I'd rather have Hunter Henry and the first and second. Okay. So that may be possible. Um, I would imagine I can't probably go any lower slash different. Um, Cole Komet, I would imagine, is a no. Dawson Knox, guys like that. Okay. Uh, You ready for a little rapid fire here to close out? I put together a few few storylines coming out of this past week of just things I was thinking about. Who would step up if Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey missed the rest of the season? Boy, that's a good question. Um, I think it would have to be Miko Hardman. <laughs> I, I don't know that he's I know, capable. quite capable of it. It's it's yeah. I mean, who would? Who would? If you saw uh, if you think... saw the, if you saw the catch Daryl Williams made this past week, maybe it's him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't be think running it's... backs, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I don't think it's Josh Gordon. I don't no. think. It, I yeah. It's not Demarcus Robinson. Um, Byron Pringle. It, it it really is. I say this is a scary scenario. I'm not rooting for it, 
But part of me just wants to know what would happen because they are so dependent on those two players. And frankly, they've been up and down this year, even with just those two players. So they don't have yeah. a lot of outs, you know, like the, the poker hands. They don't have a lot of a lot of river cards that are going to help them, in my opinion. All right. Um, and we were actually talking about AJ Dillon before the, the show a little bit. AJ Dillon will finish as running back X in the games Aaron Jones does not play this season. What would be his finish in relation to the position? I don't know. Is, well, he, is he a running back one? I think he could be, yes. Okay. I'll, I'll go higher. I, I was going to say like running back six. And I mean, it's again, it's possible. Yep. It also depends on the other running back staying healthy or having a good show yep. themselves. So it's that's true. Yeah. More fantasy points the rest of the season. Damian Harris or Ramon J. Stevenson? I'm going to say Stevenson. It was turning a little bit before Harris missed this past game. It was getting a little dicey where I was like, I don't think Harris is a an auto just plug into your lineup type player. And they play they play roulette games and Stevenson is certainly out of the doghouse now. So yeah, they can go any bit of direction. Uh, true. I like a big, I like a big back that can catch and And they can, and he's got some lateral explosion. I I would honestly say, stick your foot in the ground and move sideways. Stevenson has more of that than Harris. Uh, true false. Odell Beckham is a top 24 receiver rest of the season. And this is before Monday night football. So we don't even have his debut for the Rams or anything like that. If you're listening false, I'll say false. Okay. Do you think do you think Van Jefferson is the sneaky play here, or do you think Beckham is going to deserve a lot of the? Oh, this could be great for him, like beyond Cooper Cup in that offense. It could be great for OBJ. Um, it could be great for Van Jefferson. I, I think the jury is out. I love that Matt Stafford is able to spread the ball around. I just I'm not going to pin my hopes on OBJ until I see it. <laughs> it's been a while. Has it not? I mean, it has, it has been, been at least while. 24 months, maybe longer since we've seen it. And it means that guy where you go, Oh, he's, he's one of the alphas in the NFL. All right. We got two more here. Jer- true or false. Jeremy McNichols is a cut consideration in 25 man rosters. True. Yep. Two weeks. And they have shown zero commitment to having him anything more than a third down back. And Strangely, I would just say that they haven't trailed in those two games. So we didn't expect that maybe either. So we haven't really seen the catch-up mode uh, Titans in that span of time. But Deonta Foreman, I will just say, good on him. Uh, Texas kid, and uh, he's got a ton of talent still. And nice to see him back in the NFL and carving him out a role. Because uh, sometimes you know a team circles back to players that they liked before. And he's been uh, around the wagon uh, the past couple of years. Last one. Uh, which is more true? Cam Newton is a top 12 fantasy option the rest of the season, or Cam Newton's biggest impact is hurting DJ Moore? <laughs> uh, I think it's more likely that he's top 12 for us the season. Wow. Okay. And we saw a couple touchdowns out of him. Boy, how much did he spoil PJ Walker's <laughs> streaming start where he gets down in the red zone? It's like, it's like Cam Newton, like he steals two touchdowns. And now he's probably going to start next week. And that's the end of the road for, for Walker uh, in brass tacks this year. So. Well, who needs a Walker when you got a runner like Cam? Exactly. When you got a battering ram. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Katie, final thoughts for the week. We'll go over best ball, uh, UTH best ball contest here in a moment. Well, so believe it or not, trade deadlines are coming up. And, you know, even if it's three weeks from now, every week, just continue to put out offers, continue to put out offers. Keep going now until that trade deadline hits, but make sure that you know which 
leagues are which trade deadline. You don't want to miss a trade deadline because you didn't look it up in the bylaws. The other thing, I just want to give a shout out to my girl, Ashley in Dallas. She was over this weekend watching the Cowboys with me with a bunch of other people. And we were talking about fantasy in general. And I think I may have convinced her to look into playing Dynasty. She's played redraft and she's having a great season, loving it. But Ashley, shout out to you and jump into the Dynasty feet first. There's nothing that's more fun. Yeah, you won't be the same after. You won't look at redraft the same anymore because your uh, your roster goes into the wind like tumbleweeds at the end of the year. And uh, no dynasty owner likes to see that. We've got, and I'll reiterate what you said. I actually built a little table that I just write down, you know, so now I don't have to look it up for when the trade deadlines are in everyone in my league. Cause you know what? It varies. Prices may vary. And so, you would think a lot of them, the early side was week 11 last year, which you know that would translate now to week 12 if it bumps back. But go to your league calendar. If it doesn't say in your league calendar, you know, send that email out to the entire league of just asking, hey, when's the tread deadline? I don't see it on the, you know, anywhere listed. Just so everyone knows, the good commissions, I will say, will probably give you a little bumper saying a week out, maybe even two weeks out, say, hey, here's when the trade deadline is, just a reminder to everybody. And so that would be uh, that would be helpful on the uh, the pragmatic side if you are the commissioner or if you want to do due diligence in your group me chats or whatever is uh, just make it known for everyone in the league because it's whether you're you're the active one sending out offers but you'd love it if the whole league were active you know and just more aware that hey I'm falling out of it you know it'd be nice to to be able to sell off some of the pieces I don't want for for the rest of the year or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's a great one. The trade deadline, it feels like, you know, we've been in such the, the weekly game of, of the waiver wire and optimizing our rosters and things like that, that the trade deadline is an absolute valuable tool here in the next two, three weeks, whenever your deadline is to make maybe that one move that, that pushes you towards a, a higher direction, but also again, making a dynasty trade that helps you this year, next year and beyond. And I want to shout out to, uh, Katie flower here, uh, one of our own, uh, in the UTH best ball contest and easily because uh, you haven't won a previous week this season. And this is before the Monday Night Football, but you're well on the track here to having the top finish uh, with a little bit of a lead going into Monday Night Football. Hasn't quite been your year. Uh, it has been probably the, the, the theme where you know, you've been up at the top of the contest a lot in its history. This year, not so much, but who knows? This week could be the week that pushes you closer to the top and gets you on a track towards a high-level finish. And we mentioned Ramondre Stevenson. He was a valuable part. He puts over 30 points for you. And Mac Jones, if he gets off to, uh, gets going on a higher fantasy track for the rest of the season, could be a big part of it. AJ Dillon, uh, you're going to get maybe two or three clarified starts out of him going forward. He put up 30 points, as well as Hunter Henry having a smash opportunity uh, this past week with no John New Smith. So, the perfect storm uh, is is coming into focus. You got Brian Edwards as well. So um, that is definitely something that's turning in your direction uh, with running backs and otherwise in this contest with your roster. Uh, so shout out to Katie for looking like the top finish in week 10 here in the best ball contest. Remind you, uh, no advertising, uh, clean, straight run through here of Dynasty content on Under the Helmet. You can support the show by becoming a general manager subscriber at uthdynasty.com or getting bonus content and uh, premium shows, VIP chat at patreon.com slash UTH. Katie, between episodes, you can find her. And if you live in the Dallas area, maybe you should come over to one of her pool parties <laughs> there uh, at a Dallas watch party, maybe a Patriots watch party there um, in the Dallas area. 
Uh, you can find her on Twitter at FF underscore Skyler 399. I'm at Chad Parsons NFL. And until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. Sam McGuffey was my Michael Campanero before Campanero. Yeah. That's how not, like he was on every, the last roster spot of every dynasty team I had. Oh, that's right. Antoine Goodley. Chalk it up. Snowflake. It'll be in the, it'll be in my blackmail folder forever. But Brandon Cooks sucks. Brandon Cooks Wait. is the worst efficiency player last year. Yeah, yeah well, he can't he do hit anything. Me. He's worse than Devontae Adams. Haven't you heard? Haven't you read the newspaper one time? It's in his prime on a great situation. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> ah! Just be natural. Come on that he was falling because he's a little dickhead off the field and, and there, there wasn't <laughs> any <laughs> and there wasn't any a uh, term. yeah exactly that is it's an industry term that's why I wanted to do it again I knew it sucked what do you want for Jordan Howard Katie's yeah there's five and a half. it's another man's time <laughs> Junebug was also a movie in 2005 and it eats larvae and it lives underground I'm learning a lot about the dream bug thing. Oh, right. Maybe we should Total lifespan is about four years. Maybe we should do a uh, podcast on June bugs now. Yeah. With your noon phone knowledge. Did you know this? There's four stages of development. Egg, larva, pupa, and adult. Hmm. All right. So first one, I'm just going to throw you a softball. Jameis Winston. You think he's going to be a buck? I think he's going to go to the Lions. What, 30, I'm gonna be 34 this year. Oh, no, I do. So old. I, no, I am old, Chad. First off, I'm balding. So he's already scouting those guys now. Just so you know, he has nothing to do. Oh, yeah. he, in all that time, he's gonna set lineups that you guys are, you know, <laughs> hey, twisting your mustache in 2016. Guess what he's doing? He's mining high school tape. I've never actually seen someone drink that. Hmm. My dad calls it piss water. He's a mustache player. I mean, he's, yeah, Tom he's, Tom, he's Tom Selleck. He's Burt Reynolds. Right. I mean, he's right up there on the Mount Rushmore of mustaches. Absolutely. He's, Di- he's Ditka. I mean, he's, he's Ditka. Ditka. There we go. That's that's the crown jewel of mustaches. Yeah. Is if you're Ditka. Exactly. I see Nick Foles's small back tattoo in my thoughts, haunting my dreams. Thanks for that trade proposal. We're not checking out tonight. I'm checking out. See you later. What would you say you do here other than ruffle feathers? (laughs) Please edit that part out. (laughs) No, it's in. (laughs)